Grubblies is a nutritious snack that can be fed to your flock daily for happy, healthy chickens. That's right. There's a huge difference between a snack and a treat. Healthy chicken snacks like Grubblies are a great supplement to a well-balanced feed, and chicken treats are to be fed sparingly. Grubblies have 50 times more calcium than mealworms and are packed with protein, so your flocks will have those IG-ready feathers. Work it, ladies. Ow, ow! <laughs> Get the official snack of our flocks, Grubblies, by going to grubblyfarms.com and use code FARM15 to save 15% off your first order. you drinking over there so i opened a garden by central state brewing oh hey me too what <laughs> we did not plan that we planned the last episode but we did not plan this one that's right <laughs> we are on the same wavelength <laughs> or we just have the same brain Yes, or we were just like, wow, we just drank a 6.2% beer. Now we have to do a lower ABV, so we're not totally wasted during this episode. That's right. I really love this beer and this brewery um, Mm -hmm. because this is the brewery that we went to right after Coop Camp was all over on Sunday night. And Natalie Quist joined us at it, and it was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Their tap room is called the Coal Ship, if anybody is interested in going and visiting it in Indiana. Yeah, and this beer is a Garden Goza, and it's a tribute to lightly tart and slightly salty beers of Leipzig, Germany. And they updated it with a bit of lemon peel and a touch of Cascade hops. Yummy. Yum is right. I like it a lot. So Me cheers. Too. Cheers, cheers. And welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. Woo! That's Bev over there. And that's Sam over there. And this is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for your ears. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. That's right. We want to create a community for farmers, whether you have a hobby-sized farm or a huge farm, to come and listen and feel like you're not so alone in this farm thing. We keep it real with you and find humor in the mistakes we make, new knowledge we gain, and sometimes we go off on tangents that are non-farming related. Yes. And sometimes we cut those and stick them up on our Patreon. So if you're interested in those, check out our Patreon by going to patreon.com slash drink and farm. And if you decide to be a supporter at the $2 level or above, you get access to everything that is up there, like exclusive recordings. Sometimes there's pictures. Um, So go check that out. Everything, everything. Everything. And speaking of the Patreon, our drinks this episode were sponsored by Jessica Hawkins. So cheers, lady. Cheers. She's one of my real life friends. Yes. It's so nice of her to keep supporting us. 
you can never fight with her. <laughs> never fight with her, Bev. <laughs> and it's nice to have real life friends. Yes. <laughs> <sighs> so we do have some follow up today because this today's a little weird for us. We don't usually do this. So we felt like we should explain ourselves. Yeah, so we're recording two episodes in a row today because I am on vacation in Maine while we would normally be recording this episode. Right, and we didn't really want to, you know, rush record something when Bev got back because I know at least like when I get home from vacation, I feel like I need like another day to just recoup from my vacation. No pun intended with the coop, but... (laughs) But we wanted to make sure that we could do this last part of our series justice. So we decided to just do a, a double header. Is that what they call it in baseball? Double header? Yeah. That's what we're doing. Double feature for you movie buffs. But anyways. So that's why we're not talking about Herx balls right now or lack of balls and or the hatch or anything new this week. Nothing's wrong necessarily. We're just kind of giving you a heads up that... You know, you won't hear updates on certain things for like another week. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that I posted something on my Instagram about those things, though. So you can oh, go check that out there if you're yeah. curious. Go stalk us <laughs> on the internet. We don't moment, mind. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have a piece of actual follow-up that I wanted to share. Um, it, you might have heard us talking about a TV show called Bless This Mess back on episode 61. Well... Something weird happened with that. Uh, There were only six episodes for the first season, and Bev and I didn't even realize that that last one was the season finale. (laughs) So we thought they just went on hiatus or something. But um, season two is official. The show Bless This Mess is renewed, and I'm crossing my fingers that season two has a ton more episodes. But their ratings did really good, so I was excited to see that, and I can't wait. For season two. And if you missed it and you have something like Hulu or like YouTube TV or your fancy cable satellite has them just sitting on there, I highly recommend you go check it out if you haven't yet. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. I read some mixed reviews on the show because I was like, who takes themselves so seriously that they like really dislike it? Because I don't know. I found it to be wildly entertaining and I don't even watch mm-hmm. TV hardly at all but no you don't <laughs> compared to me I love TV <laughs> in fact it was really funny I had watched the first five episodes and then I had like a three-week hiatus where I didn't watch it and I was like oh that show's dead to me now because I'm too far behind like I'll never catch back up on four episodes <laughs> <laughs> and it's only a 20 minute long show <laughs> and my husband's like oh no episode six was the last one I was like oh well, then let's watch it. Then I watched a whole season of a show and I can brag about it. <laughs> there you go. You got you to gotta work up your tolerance for season two. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I, I, I truly enjoy the show. I, I like the characters. I like how they portray like the small town living and the learning lessons and the getting to know people with their different personalities and, and things that they find to be quote unquote normal. I don't know. I it like feels really close to my heart. <laughs> yes. Have you ever stood in the poultry section of your feed store and felt over or maybe underwhelmed by the amount of product available for you to try and buy? 
Did you know that you can easily discover new products for your flock each month without even having to leave your house or even think about it? It's true. You have to go check out Henny and Rue. Henny and Rue's monthly subscription box includes a variety of items ranging from things to add to your first aid kit, treats for your hens and roos, and there's always something for the chicken keeper. We love that we get to support a small business while we get something special in the mail. Mine was on my porch right after coop camp, and it helped soothe my post-coop camp sadness. And the chicken products made my chickens forgive me a little faster for leaving them for a few days. Not sure what to get that crazy chicken person in your life or feel like you should treat yourself in your flock? Go to honeyandroo.com and use code DRINKANDFARM at checkout to get 15% off your first subscription box. So, diving into our episode... Um, This is the final part of the three-part series about the impacts of flooding and weird-ass weather this planting season. So um, the past few episodes, we covered things like topsoil, crop insurance, deciding to make a claim with crop insurance. And now we're going to talk about something uh, that isn't, not that a lot of this stuff has been fun, (laughs) but this has a different tone to it. And today we're going to cover farmers' mental health. And I wanted to throw out a trigger warning and kind of give you guys fair warning, (laughs) not to reuse the same word, but we're going to be talking about mental health and death by suicide. So if those topics are a trigger for you, you might just want to skip this episode and we love you and totally understand if you have to sit this one out because this topic isn't an easy topic to dive into or research. Like I probably spent like two hours on it yesterday, just totally engrossed and crying. Um, But we think it's extremely important to shine light on. So we still want to do that. But again, if something like this is a trigger, you might just want to skip this one. Yeah. And I also want to point out that one of the ways Sam and I deal with uncomfortable conversations is by making jokes and laughing. And so if we laugh during any of this, we are not laughing at the poor state of anyone's mental health or anything that anyone is struggling in that is just that's how we cope and that's how we deal and if you've been a listener of ours for a long time I think that you know and understand and can appreciate that but if you're new here I wanted to point that out just because I didn't want you to think that we were a bunch of assholes (sighs) yeah or that we think anything (laughs) that is happening in farmers' lives or in some of these families is funny because we absolutely don't. Not the case at all. And yeah, so um, thanks, Bev, for throwing that out there too because I didn't add that to the disclaimer. So I think now that that's all out of the way, um, here's your last chance to just kind of swipe up and close out your app or close out the window um, because I want to start this by reading the introduction and some of the facts from an article from The Guardian. And we'll link it to the show notes because this this article will integrate with some of the other stuff we're going to talk about in this episode. Um, it was crazy how um, integrated the stuff that Bev already found was with this article I found and how much they lined up. So I got, um, I don't want to say really excited because it's a dark topic, but it was really cool to see how they intertwined. So... <clears throat> So here we go. Um, the title of the article is Why Are America's Farmers Killing Themselves? And it's by Debbie Weingarten. 
And it starts out with a story. It is dark in the workshop, but what light there is streams and patches through the windows. Cobwebs coat the wrenches, the cans of spray paint, and the rungs of an old wooden chair where Matt Peters used to sit. A serial place country music left on by the renter who now uses the shop. It smells so good in here, I say. Like, men, working, finishes Ginny Peters. We inhale. Yes. Ginny pauses at the desk where she found her husband Matt's letter on the night he died. My dearest love, it began, and continued for pages. I have torment in my head. On the morning of his last day, May 12, 2011, Matt stood in the kitchen of their farmhouse. I can't think, he told Ginny. I feel paralyzed. It was planting season, and stress was high. Matt worried about the weather and worked around the clock to get his crop in the ground on time. He hadn't slept in three days and was struggling to make decisions. I remember thinking, I wish I could pick you up and put you in the car like you do with a child, Ginny says. And then I remember thinking, and take you where? Who can help me with this? I felt so alone. Ginny felt an oppressive sense of dread that intensified as the day wore on. At dinner time, his truck was gone and Matt wasn't answering his phone. It was dark when she found the letter. I just knew, Ginny says. She called 911 immediately, but by the time the authorities located the truck, Matt had taken his life. Ginny describes her husband as strong and determined, funny and loving. They raised two children together. He would burst through the door, singing the Mighty Mouse song, Here I come to save the day and make everyone laugh. He embraced new ideas and was progressive in his farming practices. One of the first in his county to practice no-till, a farming method that does not disturb the soil. In everything he did, he wanted to be a giver and not a taker. After his death, Jenny began combing through Matt's things. Every scrap of paper, everything I could find that would make sense of what happened. His phone record showed a 20-minute phone call to an unfamiliar number on the afternoon he died. When she dialed the number, Dr. Mike Rosman answered. My name is Virginia Peters, she said. My husband died of suicide on May 12th. There was a pause on the line. I have been so worried, said Rosman. Mrs. Peters, I'm so glad you called me. Rosman, an Iowa farmer, is a psychologist and one of the nation's leading farmer behavioral experts. He often answers his phone from those in crisis, and after 40 years, he has worked to understand why farmers take their lives at such alarming rates, currently higher rates than any other occupation in the United States. A study by the CDC, Center for Disease Control and Prevention, suggested that male farmers in 17 states took their lives at rates two times higher than the general population in 2012 and 1.5 times higher in 2015. This, however, could be an underestimate as the data collected skipped several major agriculture states, including Iowa. Rosman and other experts add that the farmer suicide rate might be higher because of an unknown number of farmers disguising their suicides as farm accidents. The U.S. farmer suicide crisis echoes a much larger farmer suicide crisis happening globally. 
an Australian farmer dies by suicide every four days. In the UK, one farmer a week takes his or home her own life. In France, one farmer dies by suicide every two days. And in India, more than 270,000 farmers have died by suicide since 1995. The CDC report suggested possible causes for the high suicide rate among U.S. farmers include social isolation, potential for financial losses, barriers to an unwillingness to seek mental health services, which might be limited in rural areas, and access to lethal means. So, with all of that, enter the flooding. Um, Obviously, you know, we've been talking the past couple episodes about the devastating floods and all of the, like, the kind of nitty-gritty details, uh, the kind of science stuff behind the topsoil and what we can do to repair it, um, the crop insurance and how that might help financially. But we haven't quite talked yet about the mental health picture of this. And sometimes I think it's kind of hard for people to talk about this. And, and Bev, you might agree um, that it seems like... Uh, the stigma is kind of fading a little bit about mental health. So I think the timing um, of this conversation for us to have is um, it's good timing because I'm feeling less of a stigma on this stuff. They're kind of normalizing the need to attend to mental health. Um, so I, I was um, encouraged as I was going through some of those research to see some of the stuff that was happening. Yeah, I totally agree that some of the stigma has been lifted and you know one of the things to keep in mind and this is true of like pop culture or anything like that sometimes it takes longer for rural areas to Mm -hmm. get things and i don't want to say like get with the times because i don't think that that's really the right way to describe it um but like i want to say that in the city and the suburbs it's not unheard of for people to have many many friends that openly talk about going to therapy Mm -hmm. and talking to somebody about the issues and problems and stress that they're having because sometimes just talking to another human being can help lift that burden off of your shoulder and like we're by no means the first people to talk about farmers Mm. mental health or anything um but i'm happy to see that this conversation is really like it's really gaining steam in the rural communities and in the agricultural communities because it used to be seen that if you went and saw a therapist then you were crazy there was something wrong with you you were weak yes that is exactly right you were weak and you couldn't handle it yourself because you know um farmers And people who live in rural areas where they don't have access to as many things, they're very bootstrap people, Mm -hmm. for lack Mm -hmm. of a better word. They think that they should be able to handle everything on their own. And I find myself being trapped in that mindset sometimes because sometimes I feel like I am so (laughs) mentally strong, like I can handle things. And my husband's always like, no, stop it. You shouldn't handle this by yourself. So he's always a good reminder to me to like slow down and share the burden with people. And you remind me of that all the time with this podcast. So (laughs) tangent. (laughs) Yeah, no, but that was a good tangent. Um, That's exactly where my brain was going. Um, And I think you're right. A lot of it can come from stubbornness or a lot of it's an access issue. Um, and, And then when you have all this other stuff on your plate, probably the last thing you want to do is go to therapy. Yeah, because it's one more stressful thing you got to schedule into your day. Yeah. Like your day is already full enough. Sun up to sundown. Animals need to be fed and taken care of. And 
you know, sometimes the shit that you have to do on the tractor can only be done today because it's mm-hmm. finally dry enough to do it. And, you know. Yeah. So obviously the devastating floods have increased concerns about mental health and well-being of farmers who have already been struggling with years-long economic uncertainty. Uh, Groups in flood-affected states such as Nebraska uh, say they are preparing to provide mental health and emotional support to devastated farmers because states like Nebraska and Iowa have reported billion-dollar losses. So they're gearing up to assist farmers with their mental health needs. And I think Oklahoma is a state that's been added to that list as well. Oklahoma has had some serious flooding that hasn't been talked about quite as openly as the issues in Iowa and Nebraska. So I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Um, You know, and as I kind of pointed out a couple, like a bit ago, farmers hadn't started the year optimistic about government assistance. And it's been a rough couple of years as it is. So many were already anxious about the late passage of the farm bill in December, um, followed by government shutdown that may have put a strain on the USDA and other government agencies. Uh, The federal government has yet to begin implementing a farm and ranch stress assistant network that was revived in that 2019 farm bill. And we'll get into some more interesting details about that later in this episode. Um, But now the floods may have stripped many farmers of the soil it needs to grow crops, which could take years to return to production. Some farmers have been storing grain for several years in anticipation of better prices, but floodwaters eroded their land and contaminated the grain. And it's important to note here that neither the USDA disaster programs nor insurance policies cover stored grain. Crop insurance may cover inputs such as chemical and fertilizer, but it won't provide additional income to support households. So that potential, I don't want to call it a gold mine that they were sitting on, but there maybe it was almost like a savings account was just completely drained if it was um, damaged by those floodwaters. Yeah. And, you know, like uh, I have a friend that works uh, for a company in uh, northern Ohio and they do some stuff in crop futures. And I find all of that to be equally fascinating and also very confusing. And I'm an accountant. But yeah, basically <laughs> they like try to sell and buy at the right time. So farmers are obviously mm-hmm. trying to sell when it's high and big buyers are trying to buy when it's low. And it's like this very strange, eerie tango. It sounds like gambling. <laughs> it, it is. It, it is. It's kind yeah. of like gambling or it's like stuffing all of your money in a mattress and then having your house burned down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, a- another aspect that we really haven't talked about too much in this series is that some families have spent decades building up a herd with marketable traits and genetics. So it's not just the topsoil and the late crop planting that hits farmers hard, but it's also the loss of that livestock can um, affect their lives as well. And despite what some people would think, um, farmers and people and their families, they create relationships with their livestock. Mm -hmm. Even if they have a lot of livestock, like they always have, there's always those animals that they just kind of connect with. And so Mm -hmm. their loss is more than just like, it's more than just losing. Yeah. It's not just financial. It's emotional. Also, they are attached to these animals. Even if the animal's purpose is to be eaten. I want to make that clear too. Just because you're going to eat something doesn't mean that you don't have an emotional attachment to it. 
Oh, absolutely. I would be devastated if something came in and murdered all of my meat chickens. Like that would very much upset Mm -hmm. me because it would feel it would just feel like a big loss because I had raised them Mm -hmm. for this purpose. And then their end was so tragic. Right. Exactly. So obviously some of the stuff we've already talked about should make you concerned about the mental health specifically in the farming community and in general, not really just because of the floods, but some of the other things to think about are the tough financial situations um, that really wear on farmers and cause mental distress. Uh, Many farmers have persisted over five years of low commodity prices, uh, further strained by trade tariffs. And at the same time, (laughs) net income has fallen nearly 50% from its peak in 2013, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue. Um, He delivered a talk at the end of February where he noted that, um, and this was before the flooding that that was revealed. And on top of that, farm debt has risen more rapidly over the past five years, increasing by nearly a third since 2013 to levels last seen during the 1980s, which was during a time of a big farm crisis as well. So not only are you making less, you have more debt. Womp womp. Not no bueno. Um, And those loans, uh, those loan rates are like historically high, too. Um. So you're just kind of getting it from all angles. That's in, you know, when you feel that kind of financial pressure too, I imagine it's just makes you feel like you're drowning. Um, And then because you have those stressors and farm families tend to hold the same land from for generations and it, you get attached to that land when it's threatened with, when you're threatened with the loss of that land, and you're stressed because of your workload and being up for three days so you can get your crop in, um, that you're not sleeping properly and you're just not making sound decisions. Yeah. Have you ever tried to make a decision after not sleeping for even, I mean, even when I stay up late one night later than normal, my brain just does not function properly. Uh, I, I hate to compare it to this, but the last time I felt like I just couldn't think because I was so exhausted was, the Sunday night after coop camp. Yeah. And that was like nothing compared to what we're talking about here. <laughs> but it's important to note that that um that that additional physical stressor of not having enough rest, it it really it compounds the mm-hmm. issues that you're having because you're already living in a scarcity mindset because you're worried about money and you're worried about your crops and you're worried about your land and then add that scarcity mindset on top of not getting enough sleep and not being physically Mm -hmm. sound it's it's a recipe for mental disaster right and uh going back to that psychologist that we mentioned that's also a farmer in iowa rosman He's developed what he calls the agrarian imperative theory, which means that people engaged in farming have a strong urge to supply essentials for human life, such as food and materials for clothing, shelter, and fuel, and to hang on to their land and other resources needed to produce these goods at all costs. So when farmers can't fulfill this instinctual purpose, they feel despair. 
Thus, within the theory lies an important paradox. The drive that makes a farmer successful is the same that exasperates failure, sometimes to the point of suicide. So in an email that Rosman wrote, he said, the rate of self-imposed farmer deaths rises and falls in in accordance with the economic well-being. Suicide is currently rising because of our current farm recession. So I thought that was really interesting um, little tidbit of like psychological theory that the thing that is your purpose for living could also be the thing that drives you to want to end it. Well, and that's important to note too, because I've, uh, I've seen a lot of farmers on Instagram, like real legit production farmers sharing some of their struggles that they've had this year because of weather or other things that are going on in their corners of the country. And they all sort of echo the same sentiment that it, it's easy for an outsider to look at it and say, well, why do you do this? Why don't you go do something else? And they're like, well, because I feel like I'm called for this. Like there's something mm-hmm. just within my being that calls me to do this. Farming is the thing that sets my soul on fire. It makes me happy and wants to wants to continue on and, and continue to do these things that I do. So without farming, mm-hmm. I just wouldn't feel like I had myself. I wouldn't feel like right. I was being myself. Yeah, that you and you need purpose in life to feel complete or to have a reason to get out of bed every morning. Um, So if that purpose is kind of being shit on for whatever reason, whether it's just financial or if it's the weather and you feel trapped and there's no way to fulfill that purpose, I can imagine that it it just eats you up inside. Yeah. And it's probably hard for people who don't um, feel a calling like that. Um, to empathize Mm -hmm. but I really want to encourage people to just kind of think about it even if it's not something that they have a personal experience with it because I know a lot of people look at what I did like moving out to the country to do this homesteading thing is like semi-crazy but I've never been happier here but I've also never been more frustrated or angry (laughs) or sad or like I mean like I've like collapsed on the barn door sobbing because of things that have happened here which are just like it's a hard thing to describe to somebody who just doesn't understand I guess right right and and too it's not I wonder if part of it too and I'm speculating here is like Some people might have the attitude of, well, just go do something else. But when you're a generational farmer and all you have is that land and maybe you didn't go to college for agriculture or whatever, um, it's not that simple to just do something else. And even like uh, we've talked about hemp quite a few times. You can't it's hard to even pivot and change the kind of crop that you're going to plant and harvest because that might mean different machinery. Um, Hemp specifically is going to be very expensive to buy and get into. And then hemp's not covered by crop insurance right now, according to what we researched. That might be a little follow-up tidbit we can try to do. So there's a lot of risk assessment that goes into even just making a pivot within what you're currently doing. Um, And when you're tired and can't make decisions sometimes a different option seems easier. Yeah. So now let's talk about things that have helped to kind of lift our spirits back up and to 
maybe instill a little more hope in this situation that's very, very sad. Hooray! Hooray. Um, so people obviously need help, um, and they're not going to be cowboying it up through this on their own without any assistance at all. So it helps that we are, like we said at the beginning of this um, part of the episode, that there's an increased awareness of mental health and emotional well-being in things like farm magazines and newspapers, uh, community meetings involving business persons and farmers strategizing together can also curb social isolation and give options um, where, you know, with sound decision making happening at the same time. So you're not just feeling like you're going out on a whim. And as I mentioned before, lawmakers acknowledged the need for mental health support in the 2018 Farm Bill, which was signed in December. Um, the bill authorized the Farm and Ranch Stress Assistant Network, which was first authorized in the 2008 Farm Bill, but that was never funded and it expired in 2012. And... Um, <clears throat> Matt Perdue, the government relations director with the National Farmers Union, says times were pretty good in the country at the time in 2014 Farm Bill when it was written. To be frank, there just didn't seem many folks paying attention to the program. So that explains why it didn't make it into the 2014 Farm Bill. So going back to the Rosman or to Rosman and the article from The Guardian, it, a little interesting tidbit in 1999, Rosman joined an effort called Sowing Seeds of Hope, which began in Wisconsin and, and connected uninsured and underinsured farmers in seven Midwestern states to affordable behavioral health services. In 2001, he became the exec executive director, and for 14 years, the organization fielded approximately a half a million telephone calls from farmers trained over 10,000 rural beha behavioral health professionals and provided subsidized behavioral health resources to over 100,000 farm fam families. So that's awesome. It really is. Go Rosman. So Rosman's program proved to be so success successful that it actually became the model for the nationwide program for Farm and Ranch Stress Assistance Network. And he and his colleagues were hopeful that farmers would get the federal support they so desperately needed. But the program, but though the program was approved as part of the 2008 Farm Bill, like we said before, it was never funded. While some legisla legislators tried to earmark money for it, they were outvoted. And he said, they promised support to my face and to others who approached them to support the FRSAN that's the acronym for that. Um, but when it came time to vote, they did not support appropriating the money. Often they claimed it was an unnecessary expenditure, which would increase the national debt, while also saying healthy farmers are the most important asset to agriculture production. So it's like lip service. <sighs> yes. <laughs> Um, the program, which would have created regional and national helplines that provided counseling for farmers, was estimated to cost the government $18 million annually, which kind of feels like a drop in the bucket, really. It really is when you look at, like, what the whole budget is. Ah, uh, yeah. So Rosman makes a good point. He argues that the U.S. farmers lost by suicide totals much more than this in dollars, farmland, national security in the form of food, 
and the emotional and financial toll on farmers and families and their entire communities. In 2014, the federal funding that supported Rosman's Sowing Seeds of Hope came to an end and the program was shuttered. So that's kind of a sad ending. But the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is that now the farm and ranch stress assistance network is back on the table and would provide mental health support for farmers via grants to state departments of agriculture, state cooperative extension services, and nonprofits. Uh, they would develop stress assistant programs, including counseling, farm telephone helplines, and websites, and they'd train advocates, support, there would be support groups, outreach services, and when necessary, home delivery of assistance. So fingers crossed that they get it right this time. <laughs> Um, I also appreciated this tidbit in, in the Guardian article too, that, um, that it's important that those communication systems are confidential, whether they're by telephone or online, um, and they're effective, but staff need to be versed in the reality and language of our, of agriculture, because if you go to a therapist who might, you know, know something about therapy but doesn't understand farming, the therapist might say, take a vacation. That's the best thing you can do. And obviously the farmer is going to be like, but my cows aren't on a five-day-a-week schedule. Um, so <laughs> affordable therapy is cr- critical and inexpensive, but you also need to, like, train people to properly cater to this group of people because they're a rare breed. They're different. Yeah, and um, I think this is uh, what am I thinking of? There's this thing that I listened to. It was a podcast episode. It was one of the Hidden Brain episodes, and it talked about how people are more open to receiving the proper care that they need when it's being given to them by their community mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because they can relate to them better. And it's not that they don't trust people from outside their community it's just that people that are within their community whether it's um, a regional community or a race community or a religious community they can speak to them in a language that they understand yeah I, I can't think of a better way to express that but they just they get each other yes I totally agree that makes sense um and I want to end this little talk and we'll put this information in the show notes if at all, if we can. Um, But I wanted to call out the phone numbers. Um, If you're in the farming community and feel like you need to talk to someone um, in the U.S., the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. In the U.K., the Samaritans can be contacted on 116-123. And in Australia, the Crisis Support Service Lifeline is 131114. And other international suicide helplines can be found at www.befrienders.org. So don't be scared to reach out for help. Please. Yes, please do. Uh, your friends and family and the other people that love you are counting on you yes. to continue to be here. All right. Well, I'm ready for We Can't Even because that was a lot. I am too. (laughs) And if you hung through that with us, um, we hope we did it justice. And thank you for listening and um, learning with us more about 
this crisis that's happening. Um, we appreciate that you could uh, listen to something that's not so fun to talk about, but is a, a real issue that needs more light shined on it. Yes, yes. Yes. So, Bev, what can't you even about this weekend? I can't even get over the fact that a brewery in Colorado makes beer out of bull testicles. <laughs> it's so weird. It is. It's so weird. Oh, and it's in fact, so this weird. was shared in our Facebook group. and I, It was. I forgot who posted it. I'm sorry. I don't know. Somebody dared us to drink it, though. That's right. And I totally Ew. will. Challenge accepted. Oh, I will if you will. <laughs> and you're never going to believe what this beer is called. What's it called? Rocky Mountain Oyster Stout. (laughs) (laughs) That's so gross. And you know what? I took the a couple of the Bowie goats to go get fixed, and we opt for the surgical route. Um, so they basically like slice and pull out the testicles, and then it it's a small enough incision that it just heals itself back up. And I helped by holding the goats. Um, they're too big to hold by their legs, by their bottom legs. So we had to like put a little lead on them and tie them to a pole. And then I straddled them and like squeezed so they wouldn't move too much. And one of them, I turned around and saw the testicles on the ground. And then I was like Googling it to show my husband. Cause you know, I can't do these things myself. He's got to be <laughs> grossed out too, or just be interested. It was kind of fascinating. And some of these quote unquote Rocky Mountain oysters popped up too they just don't look appetizing. They really don't. I mean, I told you my neighbor wanted me to fry up Herc- Herc's balls when we, Ugh, yeah. <laughs> we gilded him. I was like, no, I don't even want to cook them. Like, I'm just not interested in it. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> so I'm going to read you this article that I'm going to link in the show notes. It's from Rare.us. Um, and they say, what had initially begun as an April Fool's Day prank for Wine Coop Brewing Company in Denver actually turned out to be a fan favorite. Back in 2012, Wine Coop tried to be funny by creating an April Fool's video announcing their new beer called Rocky Mountain Oyster Stout, which referenced the classic Western snack of fried bull testicles. <laughs> yes, apparently people like to snack on a plate full of bull testicles. For some reason, y'all are wild, Colorado. <laughs> I don't think it's just Colorado. There's lots of states that eat that. Yeah, I think so, too. (laughs) So instead of getting gross reactions from beer fanatics, they responded rather enthusiastically, even though the concept was supposed to be a joke. So Winecoop decided to keep the attention going by keeping their customers happy and followed through by actually brewing the beer. So, yeah, (laughs) beer nerds love the nutty brew so much (laughs) 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 that it has now become a staple for the brewery. I mean, I'm a huge fan of beer, but this honestly scared me a little bit when I first heard of it. But if Virginia can come up with a Lucky Charms IPA, a beer made of bull testicles doesn't surprise me. So let's all have a craft beer party. (laughs) And I'm going to go ahead and describe the beer for you. Okay. Rocky Mountain Oyster Stout is a 7.2% alcohol by volume and three balls per barrel. That's BPB, in case you needed another acronym, (laughs) and includes 25 pounds of freshly sliced and roasted bull testicles and sea salt. That sea salt's very important. La la la, sounds delicious. (laughs) The self-proclaimed ballsiest canned beer in the world is sold in a two-pack, 
which Ugh. I'm not sure if it's a pun to there being two testicles <laughs> or not, but I found it hilarious. <laughs> That's perfect for us because we'll try it once. <laughs> That's right. And if anybody has access to this beer, please send it to us. Please and thank please. you. Please, please, please and thank you. <laughs> we will drink it on the podcast and give you a shout out. Absolutely. And as far as ingredients, brewers add roasted barley, seven specialty malts, a hint of sea salt, and Styrian golding hops. Hmm. Yeah, Styrian golding hops. I think I pronounced that right. To create the roasted flavor and luscious mouthfeel. Oh my God, the ball (laughs) mouthfeel has a mouthfeel. Of course it does. Oh, I feel like there was a podcast title in there somewhere. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Mouthfeel. The brewery describes the testicle beer as a vicious stout and assertive because, well, it's a bull we're talking about here. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, then, I guess, you know, I, you can't knock it till you try it. I mean, I already said I would drink it, so I'm looking forward to it someday. Okay. I mean, I drank a beer that was made from the yeast pulled from the brewer's beard. Ew. What the (laughs) hell? (laughs) How was it? (laughs) Um, It was pretty good. So what can't you even get over this week, Sam? So I saw a post by our new friend from Neutrina that we met at Coop Camp, Twain, on Facebook. Uh, so I had to Google it because it was about ducks helping make wine. So we both have a boozy we can't even this week. And it's an animal boozy we can't even. It is. A farm so... animal boozy we can't even. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, what he had originally posted was like a YouTube video, but I found an article from APnews.com that we'll link to in the show notes. Um, and I'm just going to read this article to you too because it's cute. Um, the quacking is soft at first amid the vineyards that roll for miles in the South African winemaking town, but then the duck handlers whistle and wave their white flags and the noise reaches a crescendo. All 1,071 ducks huddle at the gate that separates them from the vineyards. It's time to go to work and the, and the daily duck parade is about to start. Oh, I want to go to a duck parade. Same. Uh, the wine farm is winning praise from environmentalists for using Indian runner ducks instead of chemicals to eradicate pests like snails and bugs from its vineyard. The duck parade is also a colorful affair that attracts tourists. John Fower, I'm probably slaughtering his last name, um, whose family has owned the Virginoido wine estate <laughs> since 1820. If you want to know what it is, you're going to have to click on the show note link. <laughs> um, they originally imported six Indian runner ducks in 1984 to control pests in his garden. Then start, he started breeding them, and as the workforce grew, so did their job description. The estate, which was recently sold to a German owner, continues to use the ducks for pest control, although it is a much more ex- is much more expensive than pesticides, said the vineyard social media manager. The ducks cost an average of $2,300, while more conventional methods would cost that amount per year. Um, yeah, sorry. Using the ducks is more sustainable. Uh, if you use controversial, or excuse me, 
If you use conventional pest control, those chemicals are absorbed into the soil, which affects the growth of the vines and kills insects, he said. Our ducks go into the vineyards and they eat the snails and snails eat snail eggs while fertilizing the soil because we all know duck shit a ton. Yeah, like rocketing shit. Yes. Duck handle Denzel Matthews has worked with the ducks for the past three years and says he has grown to love the creatures. When I started here, I used to eat ducks, he said. But since I have started working with them, duck is not my favorite thing to eat anymore. (laughs) The end. But I have always wanted to go to South Africa, mostly to do like crazy shit like a cage dive with great white sharks or see them breaching um out of the water so i guess i just have even more reason to go to south africa now because i need to go to the winery with the duck parade yes that sounds like a good reason to go (laughs) yes do it for the podcast absolutely absolutely so it's time for a farm story It is. And we have another recorded farm story from Coop Camp. Yay! So we're going to play that for you now. Enjoy. Oh, hey again, Natalie. (laughs) You come back for some more harassment? Yes, Sam. I'm here for more harassment. (laughs) So I hear that you have a farm story for us. I do. Uh, At first, when you were asking for farm stories, the examples of them were things that were interesting situations that would happen in people's flocks and... For better or for worse, I guess, thankfully, my flock has been very low-key. Nothing extreme has happened. We've had some little quirkiness here and there. But then I was here at Coop Camp and started thinking about, well, what got me into this? Mm -hmm. And I thought, hey, my farm story is really, how did I become an urban chicken keeper slash gardener? So I thought I would kind of talk about that real quick. Um, About a decade ago, maybe even longer ago than that I was I think for Christmas somebody gave me this book by Barbara Kingsolver called Animal Vegetable Miracle and it legit changed my life like I read that book and I was I was like opening up this window like your eyes were open yeah. for the very first it, time yes <laughs> and it just it hit me it struck something in me that I know has always been there throughout my life I've always liked animals I've always liked the outdoors and plants and nature and all this stuff I did 4-H as a kid but as you grow up and you live in suburbs and urban environments yeah you start to lose a little bit of yeah, that it's right tough. yeah absolutely I think you've experienced that as well, mm-hmm. both of you. And uh, so I, I read this book and was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get a CSA. I want chickens. I want a garden. And <laughs> at, in the city, uh, at the time, I think I realized that you could have chickens in Chicago. But uh, I was very new in my job. I was renting uh, an apartment. You mm-hmm. know, I didn't really feel like I had space to do a lot of this stuff. So I did what I could. And I got all my heirloom seeds and I planted this beautiful heirloom garden and I watched a few months later as squirrels tore it to pieces oh no in the worst possible way I remember coming home one night after work and my boyfriend was just sitting on the front steps and I knew something was wrong and I didn't know what and I was nervous to go Mm. up and figure out what happened and he just said the squirrels <laughs> oh <laughs> and so I, it sounds equally you know, traumatized too. yeah and I and I went out back and they had we had planted some really cute like popping corn like the tiny little ears and they had just days before oh. this corn was ready just mowed them all down 
they would take tomatoes and take a bite out the day before they'd be ripe and Dicks. leave. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these were some legit savages. asshole squirrels. They were, they were savages. savages. They were, it was bad. I mean, it, this was like emotional war at this point. I mean, this, oh, they were no. terrorizing us with this. So we just, we stopped gardening. We just, mm-hmm. we, it was, we couldn't combat this. There were too many of them. And we really kind of put all of our backyard farming hopes and dreams on hold sort of indefinitely. And uh, a few years later, you know, I still had all this passion for CSA and organic stuff, but we just, we just got away from it because it Mm -hmm. it felt like a lot of work. And so then a few week, a few years later, my sister found this stray chicken in her neighborhood. So long story short, she, of course, because we're animal people, she takes in this chicken Mm because it's winter and she's trying to take care of it. (laughs) We're home over Christmas with this chicken. And, and I thought, you know what? This is, you know, I'd been around chickens before, but I hadn't really been around a chicken. And that really reignited my chicken having chicken keeping passion Crazy chicken lady spirit yeah, that just i started i shaking within yeah <laughs> it was in there and it was reawoken and i went back to all that and i thought okay i i'm older now i'm a little more established i've been in this apartment for a really long time mm-hmm. screw it i'm gonna ask the landlord if we can have chickens and we went to this uh, urban agricultural expo in Chicago, which was a really cool environment for just learning real quick about all the animals you can keep in Chicago, mm-hmm. which by the way is pretty much anything. So oh. sweet. Yeah. And, uh, so we left there. I felt pretty confident in my ability to carry this through. And so yeah. I asked the landlord, Hey, would you mind if I got some chickens? And he said, yeah. And I thought I I felt like I'd won the lottery. Ding 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 ding. Yeah, I felt like I'd won the omelet coop. <laughs> <laughs> that was the feeling. And I remember just beaming, and my boyfriend's just kind of shaking his head, like, like "Okay, oh, shit." So here we go. And I the rest is sort of history. And I I got my chicks, I got my coop, I researched the heck out of everything. I found the podcast, I found Coop Camp, and everything just kind of came swarming back to that. Mm-hmm. That original feeling that I had 10 years ago after I read that awesome book. And it's funny, I reread it again this winter as I was thinking, oh, I should start. We were talking about all our seeds and raising yeah. things and got all into that again. And I, I reread the book and I was just at, in tears at the end because it Aww. just struck that chord with me again. Like this is, it's so funny to just sort of have throughout your life the sense of what you want to do and mm-hmm. to finally be able to realize it, even if it takes fits and starts over a long time right when you do something that's really authentic to yourself and Mm -hmm. it's hard to find those things in this day and age and it does take a long time to find them as you get older but once you do it is it's like the most pure feeling and sometimes it's a timing thing and exactly this is what that was yeah it was very much a timing thing Mm -hmm. it was I felt confident and asking about doing this and you know (laughs) from one perspective it's like hey you know you could I'm renting I could have to move out tomorrow and it would change everything but I thought you never know what your situation is going to be you could wait your whole life for the perfect moment and it won't happen correct and I thought (laughs) all right I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do it and we'll see what happens and hopefully this turns out and so far it's been amazing it's been a little over a year and and here you are happy and here I am at a chicken camp so (laughs) who would have thought makes perfect sense to me Making friends with two boozy farm chicks. (laughs) Right. Which was, yeah, once I found the podcast, like, these are people I totally identify with. So that worked out pretty well, too. Well, we're glad that we got to meet you this weekend. You, too. That's That's my little farm story. Well, we hope you enjoyed that farm story that we got while we were at Coop Camp. 
And if you have a farm story or shit you think other listeners would enjoy, you should email that to us at drinkandfarm at gmail.com or you can slide into our DMs over on Instagram <laughs> or on Facebook too. I suppose we do check that every now and then. Yeah. But you can get a hold of us. You can send us your farm story. We'll read it. Yeah. All right. Time for our housekeeping. Yay, housekeeping. So it's time for a field trip. Uh, the Naperville Eel Fest is quickly approaching, and that will be Saturday, July 13th at Naperville Settlement in Naperville, Illinois. Uh, the website is www.naprovilleilfest.com. We will link to that in the show notes, but go check it out. Buy your tickets there. There will be over 200 unique craft beers, live music, and some of Chicagoland's favorite food trucks. So come meet us there. It'll be a blast. Yeah, I mean, screw all the beer and food trucks. We'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the beer and the food trucks are just a bonus. <laughs> And take our survey. You can give us anonymous feedback. There will be a link to that survey in the show notes. The survey truly, truly, truly makes the show better. So if you have not filled that out yet, please go do so. And we would love for you to come join us in our Facebook group. Search We Drink and We Farm Things on Facebook. Answer the three questions and we will let you in to join our fun little community in there. It's growing every week and we learn so much from you all sharing your experiences with each other and with us. So keep the good work going in there and come check it out. Yeah. And review us in all the places you listen to us at. And if you really like us, download the episode when you listen and subscribe. And we've also started loading our previous episodes, and I guess we're caught up now, actually. Um, we are. Yeah. So those go on YouTube now, and we are planning on dropping some exclusive videos in there of us on all of our, you know, shenanigan trips um, and stuff like that. So you want to go subscribe, even if you don't want to listen in there, because sometimes you might see some cool bonus stuff. Um, so go subscribe. Search for Drink and Farm. And we sell merch. There will be a link to both of those shops in the show notes. Wear a Drink and Farm t-shirt. People will know you're a listener. Maybe you'll run into a new friend on the street. Who knows? Maybe. And we're on Instagram. And we have a hashtag. So check us out at Drink and Farm. And then go ahead and use hashtag Drink and Farm on Instagram anytime you're drinking something you love and farming safely, please. We share them every Tuesday and Thursday on our feed. And we share some in our stories sometimes. So uh, this community is, you know, for you guys. We want you to meet each other, interact with each other. And you can do that so easily just by using the hashtag. That's right. And most of all, thanks for listening. Thank you. We we're love so you. You're here. And we're so happy you've joined us. Yes. I love you with all of my butt. I think that's going to have to be my thing. <laughs> I really like that. It's a really good thing. <laughs> Because my butt is pretty big. <laughs> What's the biggest part of my body? Your skin. My skin. <laughs> Technically, that's everyone's. <laughs> I love you with all of my skin. <laughs> that sounds kind of gross. <laughs> it does sound a little gross. That's all right. You get us. <laughs> yes, you do. And if you don't, bye. <laughs> but we love you anyways. So drink. Farm. And, and give zero clucks. clucks. Bye, guys. Bye.
farm things. We drink and farm.